Live and in color from the NBC News Radio Broadcasting Studios of KCAA, 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, located in beautiful Southern California and in parallel from the Turfs Up Radio Studio in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Thanks for tuning in to the Water Zone Show this evening. Good afternoon and welcome around the world from morning to noon to afternoon to nighttime. Anybody all over the world can listen in and we appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Starr along with Mr. Chris Davies. He's the magnet of hydraulics. Guy knows everything about anything that goes through water, he knows about it. Even human bodies, I think he knows about that. When water goes in, it's got to come out. Anyway, Chris, how you doing? Yeah, I know a guy who knows a guy, Rob, so, you know, careful what you say, buddy. <laughs> Well, you know, beer, beer goes in, beer's got to come out. Uh, that's right. Whatever, what, what goes up what must come down. That's, uh, that's gravity, right? So, yep. um, Rob, terrific, terrific show today. Got a great guest this afternoon after uh, Chris Austin comes on from Maven's Notebook. Looking forward well, to that also, conversation. She's also great. She's also great. Yep, absolutely yeah. great. <laughs> uh, absolutely, no, no doubt about it. Top drawer, A yeah. number one. Um, yeah. Rob, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell again the audience that uh, we're gonna do a show together coming up in the first show in February, right? Absolutely. Looking forward to that, buddy. I'll be I'll be in your home state of Arizona, and I'll be banging on your door like uh, you know mid afternoon. So you better be uh, ready, bud. Actually, I think it's the second week. Oh, is it? Okay. Yep, yeah, you're right. This next week, we have Justin Scott Coe, and he's the general manager of Monte Vista Water, and he does some stuff with our wonderful lady in California, their Miss Chris Austin. Welcome. Hey, how you doing, guys? All right. Hey, hey you, you were talking, before we started, you were talking about the, the International Ag Expo, and, and I'm going this year. Oh, I'm, cool. I'm, really, I'm really excited to go. I thought about it like I think uh, it was in uh, December. I I told my husband we're going to go to the this Ag Expo, and I started looking for hotel rooms. And like even two months ahead of this thing, the closest I could get was Fresno. Uh, but uh, I have to drive down to Tulare. But uh, I'm really excited to go. I've never been. This is the largest ag show they say on the planet, and uh, and and I'm gonna be there right around the Valentine's Day. So isn't that exciting? Hey, honey, I'm dragging you to the International Ag Expo on Valentine's Day. So. Uh, maybe he'll buy you. A, maybe he'll buy you a strawberry shake. Yeah. No, I, I'm really excited to go and see what's there. So you know. Uh, if, but if you haven't got your hotel room, folks, good luck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that well, coming up, and I, I couldn't do it because I'm getting ready to head out for Denver. And uh, then when I get back, probably another week after that, I head up to Canada, hopefully, and get my project uh, more on track. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that as well. But, no, I wish uh, I could go to the Ag Show. That, that, that seems to be pretty good. There's lots of stuff they talk about water at that as well. Oh, yes, they do. And I was just going to say, Chris, I'll tell you, nothing says romance like caterpillar tractors, carrots, and... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no scraper, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's a museum piece these days, but yeah. 
No, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And next month I'll be attending uh, the California Irrigation Institute Conference in uh, Sacramento. That's where we first met, if you all remember correctly. Yes, so, I do. Yeah. I got to see. So, uh, no, we got a lot of people going, so I, I'd be interesting to see, see the list of uh, people that are going to be there as well. That should be pretty interesting. Yeah, so lots of stuff going on as we get back into conference season and all. So, you know, good time to uh, get yourself some water knowledge if you're interested. There's places, well, you know, all sorts of things going on. Well, that's why we got you, because you're going to tell us about all these storms that we had and especially what's happening with Shasta. Oh, well, yeah, you know, actually what's happened in San Diego is pretty incredible. Uh, they got a heck of a lot of water. Uh, I think they said, uh, what, a month's worth in one hour? Uh, you know, incredible amounts of water and, and a lot of flooding and and, uh, and stuff going on. It, it's pretty incredible. Uh, the, they said haven't ha seen a downpour like that in, in 90 years, so... Uh, you know, it, it was a big deal, and this seems to be kind of where we're headed to in this, you know, supercharged climate systems that we seem to have nowadays, uh, you know, uh, lots and lots of rain. And our infrastructure is not really, uh, uh, you know, set up to provide, you know, that kind to, to take, handle that kind, that amount of water. So, you know adapting to uh, climate change is going to, you know, really require some expensive infrastructure, I think, if we're going to, you know, see more of these storms in the future, which, uh, you know, that's what the scientists are telling us to expect. So, so are they going to go by the 100-year term or the 1,000-year term? Oh, now they said 1,000-year. You know, we kind of <laughs> we, we thrown that that out the door and you know that sort of that's a human construct it's a construct of the army corps of engineers to kind of try in and work out levy designs and you know and how they're you know because we can't we can't size the infrastructure to cover as as much you know at water as could if we have we have bounds we plan for certain certain things um and we know we can't have perfect flood control uh so you know it's like you have to size the infrastructure to what what's the most reasonable thing that you know, what's the most reasonable size given the precipitation history, knowing and understanding it won't always be perfect. Uh, but we're not prepared for, uh, you know, uh, floods of that size, uh, that kind of precipitation coming down um, all at once. So it's going to be uh, going to take some work to figure out how to adapt to our infrastructure to these kinds of, of storms. Yeah, it should be so, interesting. Yeah, and so they they say another wet pattern is setting up. Um, there's talk of an atmospheric river uh, coming next week, headed here. Now, of course, that's next week, and a lot of things can change. They usually do with the weather, 
Uh, but yeah. right now it's looking like uh, some significant precipitation is headed, headed our way. We've got a few days of, of a break, apparently, and then we'll be back at it with the rain. Uh, and hopefully some snow. You know, the snowpack is really lagging. We're getting a lot of rain, uh, just not a lot of snow. And this is, this is the big problem that we have to confront here in California is that uh, as we get more snow or less snow and more rain, we need to have systems that are set up to catch the rain that's falling in the valleys uh, more. Uh, you know, these reservoirs that we have up in the mountains uh, aren't, aren't very useful against this type of precipitation. I mean, if the water falls below the dam, the dam can't catch that water. Yeah. Never stops, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, this is California, you know, and we have the most variable uh, precipitation of anywhere in the nation, and Southern California is the most. It's, it's Southern California is high, even more variable than other parts of the state. So, you know, we're we are used to droughts and we're used to floods, uh, but not just not of that intensity. Yeah. What about the on... next uh, the upcoming? Ahead, what about the upcoming um, the upcoming snow survey that they're going to do? They've done one already. <laughs> this will be the second one, I think, Chris, up at Phillips Station um, at the end of at the end of this at the end of this month. I've got. I'm looking at the map right here on Maven's notebook. Uh, by the way, so you know, so far behind, we're behind the uh, we're behind the average. Well, yeah, we sure are, um, and I mean, this is this is concerning. Uh, now, we're, it, you know, if it doesn't, if we don't get a good snowpack, then you know, we're still in fairly good shape because we got so much rain last year. But you know, look for. Uh, Department of Water Resources to hang on to the reservoir storage a bit more and not, you know, not give out as much water as they did in prior years because they kind of learned next year could be really, really bad. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens. Again, it's not what's on the ground now. It's what's on the ground come, you know, March or really come April um, and we can have our March miracles and uh, and our awesome Aprils. And if you look at the forecast for looking out the next ten, six to ten days, uh, there's a, a chances for above average precipitation for California. So uh, I should say our chances for precipitation are above <coughs> average. <laughs> Well, you're bringing up a good point, Chris, in the way you're talking about how the water is delivered to California, right? And we, we've, it's been a subject on several uh, segments uh, prior to this in that with global warming, with the change in the weather that we've witnessed over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, dozen years or so, or so that have been in the recent findings, uh, anyway, reported in recent findings, the, the amount of moisture you know, it's going to stay the same, but the way it's being delivered is different. It's coming in warmer storms, more as rain than it than it was previously in previous decades, where it came in colder storms as snow. So you know that that just changes it. So you make a good point about how the infrastructure has to be 
uh, accommodate has to accommodate the diff that difference in the way that the water is delivered to California. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing, and that's where like this site reservoir project that they want to build is set up for taking water uh, like this uh, water that comes. You know, because when it's raining hard as it is, it's those uh, rivers are running very high, and the plan for Sites Reservoir is to take those flows when they are high and uh, pump them up into the reservoir. It's an off-stream reservoir, so it's not blocking any any creek or any river, so they would pump water up into it uh, to, to save it there. Um, it's the kind of project that our scientists say that we need, uh, so we'll see. It's been do, it's been moving through the env- environmental review and permitting process. Uh, it there is opposition because you know it's a water project in California, and there's always opposition in that manner. Uh, but it it's it has uh, plenty of participation by a number of different water agencies, people who are willing to put up the money to pay for it. Uh, so I think that the project will ultimately move forward once it resolves the legal challenges that it has. Um, and the Delta Conveyance Project, or the tunnel, the very controversial tunnel, also uh, looks to pick up those high flows and then uh, send them through the tunnel uh, down to the South Delta and, and export it out to be uh, stored in the San Luis Reservoir. So, you know, we'll we'll see, you know, I, I have more hope that the Heights Reservoir will get built than the tunnel. I think that the, while there's some opposition to Sites Reservoir, there's real opposition to uh, the Delta Tunnel. And it's just a much more controversial project. Uh, so we'll see what happens, even if uh, Sites gets all the... Uh, all the green lights for a go, it still has, uh, you know, 10 years to get built. So uh, that's just how long it takes to build a huge reservoir. Well, actually, and it's not just one dam, it's like three or four dams that they have to build around the valley to hold the water. So uh, we'll see. uh, We'll see how it goes. How are all the other dam enhancement programs going in California? Are they... Are anything off track or staying on track? Well, I think that, uh, you know, I actually I just was been writing up a uh, coverage from the California Water Commission on the Water Storage Investment Program, which is the program that disperses the money uh, from Prop 1, which voters approved way back in 2014 uh, for the Water Storage Program. And, um, yeah, actually... Uh, the one project that you don't hear much about because it really doesn't have any opposition is that they want to expand the Los Vaqueros Reservoir, which is in the East Bay. Uh, and they got the, uh, uh, they're working and I think they're almost ready now to come in for their final funding award. Uh, this reservoir is again kind of like sites. It's off stream. It's it's in nestled in the hills in the Bay Area. It's not blocking a stream or a river. They actually pump water from the delta up into this reservoir. 
uh, when the water quality is good in that in that area of the delta. And they they've uh, Contra Costa Water District started this reservoir project a couple decades ago, and it was kind of been built and designed that the dam would be raised three times, uh, and that's just kind of been in the plans, and so they've already raised it once, so this will be the second and last time they raise the dam. Uh, Contra Costa Water Agency has been very effective with their people in explaining the need for the project and working with people who might oppose it so that they actually have uh, very little opposition, if any. As a matter of fact, I don't think anyone is complaining about this project at all. And they have got uh, other water agencies in the East Bay are buying into this project. So um, that project will, I assume, um, I think I heard that they're going to be in, uh, in about summertime to, uh, to get the funding finalized at the Water Commission, and they'll be starting construction, I imagine, fairly soon. Uh, The one dam that is not looking too hopeful is the Pacheco Reservoir, which is uh, outside of San Jose. Uh, They want to uh, dramatically expand this very small reservoir, and they've had a lot of issues with uh, the original location was across an earthquake fault, so they had to move it. And the engineering uh, design costs have really skyrocketed, and they're looking at a $2 billion project, and they only have funding for about a quarter of that. And they have said that if we can't get any more funding, then our ratepayers will pay. Uh, you know, now the Silicon Valley has lots of ratepayers, so perhaps on an individual basis it won't be uh, that much. But what's interesting is they say that it's going to be a emergency water supply, and I think it's a very expensive emergency water supply. Although in case of an emergency, like an earthquake or something, then I, you would be very happy that you spent that money, uh, but it, it is kind of an expensive project in that in that yeah, there's state money available to this stuff, and you know, color me surprised to hear that the rate player payers will pay or pay the difference. <laughs> but you know, maybe it's, this is a good opportunity to point out to the listeners that you know all of these all of these um, resilience projects, if you will, you know, just so we can uh, look at regional climate change for for existent for uh, for example, um, especially as it relates to droughts. All these projects are are have you know two phases they're not just to address you know all the issues that we face during a drought but they're also to address flooding issues that also happen as well so just you know just monitoring the the chat board here right these guys everybody keeps mentioning drought 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 but it's also about flood control as well chris oh absolutely um and flood control is huge and that's sort of the balancing game that we have to play right now in our reservoirs because they're water storage and flood control. And that's uh, kind of uh, two things that are diametrically opposed. You know, for flood control, you want an empty reservoir so it can catch everything that comes down, you know, comes down into it. 
And for water supply, you want to hang on to all the water that you can so that you can, you know, serve it out when you need it in the drier months. Uh, so we have these flood control curves that mandate what uh, the agencies have, you know, how they can run their reservoirs. So, you know, at, at, and when you look at the reservoir chart, it can be a little confusing because it'll, it, it will give you a percentage full at this date historically. But um, if, that's, if it's in a flood control curve, then it could be, you know, at <laughs> 100%, you know, historically, say, but, but still not be full because they have to keep the space in the uh, in the reservoir in case there's a big a big storm <clears throat> yeah polar objective absolutely yeah <clears throat> well Chris and I Chris and I were talking to Heather Dyer who's the uh, CEO and general manager of uh, San Bernardino Valley water and you know they're they're getting really big into groundwater and speaking of that I I understand that the friend bars Susan Kennedy is now the CEO at Cadiz Oh, okay. I didn't know if you knew that, but uh, where are they? I mean, they they still were dealing with the chromium six issue. I mean, they claim they got more water than God, but uh, I don't see anything <laughs> really happening in the last <laughs> the last five five years that I talked to them. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't follow that project too too closely, so um, I can't really say. But they have been trying to get that project done for decades you know yep. even before i started doing this they were trying to get that project approved and metropolitan was actually considering it one point but then backed out of the project um it's an it's a interesting project I, the idea being that they're somehow going to capture the evaporation of water <laughs> off the land or something and that's what they're going to use i i don't know um i can't remember exactly the procedure but it's kind of it's it's kind of a different spin on things um many years ago i got you know back before everyone and pictures were so you know now they're so ubiquitous we all have cell phone cameras pictures all over the place but back then i had to take a lot of my own pictures so I got it in my mind that we wanted to go, I wanted to go out to Cadiz to see if I could get a picture, even just of the prediction, the sign that says Cadiz in, in the, the valley. Uh, uh, we, so I threw my husband in the car and out we went, and uh, we never did make it out to Cadiz. It's very, very, very far out there, but uh, the it's very dry out there. Um, very much desert, uh, and uh, there's a lot of failed farming operations around that yeah. you could see. So, you know, it really makes me wonder just how much water is, is underneath there. And, and I mean, the, the Cadiz is only 50,000 acre feet. That's not, I mean, that's not very much at all. It's very small. I mean, figure metropolitan's portion of the state water project is a million acre feet and right. they all try and get a million acre feet from the colorado river when they can so you know fifty thousand is just a, a literal drop in the bucket 
compared to what Southern California needs. I, I know way, way years back, it was probably eight, 10 years ago when I started talking to the uh, guy who was the president of that. I mean, they were talking about, you know, hundreds of acres of, of water feed of that, but I don't know. That's, you know, it's been going on, like you said, but I don't see anything really moving forward with that for years and years and years. It's, to me, it's just a lot of PR and people investing in it, but money's going to, they say building projects and stuff, but I don't I don't see any reality out of that so far. Anyway. Well, they so, certainly haven't moved the water project forward very much, but they do other stuff out there. Um, yes, yes, they do. You know, I, I'm not sure what those other operations are, but so it's, it's you know... They are doing something, but um, moving forward on this water project, I think it's just kind of, it's difficult for them. Yeah, we, we agree. Well, Chris, it's coming up to our uh, commercial break. And as, as always, I'd like to every, tell everybody to go to your website, uh, mavensnotebook.com, become, become a subscriber. And if you really like it, be a, a sponsor of it. You can do that at the same website. It's a great place. I always say, Miss Austin, must be typing 28 hours a day or more because I can't believe how much product she gets puts out. I can use I can use you here to do stuff for me. You know, <laughs> if you like to type. Oh, oh yeah, I'm not, I'm not lots I'm a, of time. I'm a, two, I'm a two finger typer, so it takes me a lot longer than it probably would be to you. But uh, you're a magic woman who knows everything what's going on about water. We do appreciate that. And Chris, we're we're, we're super always happy that you've been with us for a couple of years, and we want to keep that going. And uh, thank you for what you contribute. We appreciate it. All right. Well, hey, you all have a good evening. We will. Have a great week, Chris. And right, we'll talk next take, week. Yep. We're going to take a little break, and we'll be back with our featured guest, a very nice lady and uh, very informative, and give us some information about what's happening at a place called Cal Web. So stick around. We'll be back in just a moment. NBC News on KCAA Loma Linda, sponsored by Teamsters Local 1932, protecting the future of working families, Teamsters1932.org. Moving up in this industry means getting the most out of each day, so you can focus on growing your business. With Site One, you're in control, and we're here to help. It starts with the right team. Our irrigation pros can help map out a complete, streamlined system that meet any requirements or regulation. And from the first dig to years after install, knowledgeable experts are available in branch or resources are available online to help find solutions specific to your needs. Next, we make sure you have the right tools to get the job done with the largest selection of top brands in the industry, bringing the latest in Wi-Fi enabled controllers, rotors, sprays, valves, and drip components. And because hard work should always be rewarded, you'll receive personalized pricing and earn loyalty points on qualifying purchases to help you grow. You're in control. Site One is here to help. Water is one of the biggest expenses for communities, HOAs, universities, golf courses, and resorts. So keeping those costs under control, especially when rates are increasing while water supplies are being reduced, are often essential to a customer's survival. Managing water requires multiple skills, which is why it's been complicated and difficult until now. 
AquaTrack brings multiple skills and technologies together to help large system users conserve outdoor water and improve the health of their landscapes. AquaTrack's professionals are certified landscape water managers and certified landscape irrigation auditors. The company offers audit services, upgrade advice, technical expertise, and water use monitoring. We already manage irrigation water for the largest homeowner associations in Arizona, and we're prepared to bring our knowledge and experience to help others, including landscapers and designers. Give us a call and hear how AquaTrack saved one HOA some 430 million gallons of water and $200,000 in annual water expenses. AquaTrack is Arizona-based, and you can reach us at 623-594-8689. That's 623 623- Five nine four eight six eight nine. This is KCAA. All right, uh, welcome back to the second half of the Water Zone. Hope everybody's having a wonderful day. Uh, out in Arizona, it's 61 and partly sunny. And uh, Mr. Davey, what's the back like in there in California? Well, it's uh, it's still cloudy. We had quite a bit of rain, not as much as San Diego got, but we got a pretty good soaking um, for sure, Rob. Uh, up uh, here where I live, we, we came out unscathed, but uh, yeah. That uh, atmospheric river is is uh, up and coming, buddy, and at it, that work. Uh, Song Crimea River is starting to catch on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we got our featured guest coming on, and, and I have to tell her, which I, I use this a lot now, this new term I coined, is she's a wow woman. And that means woman of water, and uh, she's an amazing person, and she is the executive director of external affairs for an organization called CalWeb, and we'd like to welcome Tia to the Tia Fleming, welcome to the Water Zone. Thanks so much for having me. Good to be here. Ah, we're excited that you're here. And a couple things first. Uh, we'll get get through the simple stuff, and, and everything is pretty simple the way we put it. But what drove you to the water industry? Was that something you were born with, or you acquired it, or you doing something else, and all of a sudden you say, "I want to be this." Yeah, no, I, so the water industry, you know, I, I grew up in uh, Santa Monica, so right on the beach. I, like many children of the late 80s and early 90s, thought that I wanted to be a marine biologist because I just loved the beach and the ocean and wanted to protect it. Um, I quickly realized that um, my brain is much more um, social science than hard science when I went to college to take some chemistry classes and um I actually went into environmental organizing. So I worked for uh, Food and Water Watch, for the Sierra Club, for a lot of advocacy organizations, um, and, you know, ended up actually in Detroit working on, um, working with, like, public utilities there. Um, Mm -hmm. That was kind of my first foray into the local water scene. Um, You know, I think working on some of the bigger issues that I was around, you know, climate and water availability and pollution um, I realized that most people don't know where their water comes from, and the way that they're really connected to the water is through our utilities, through our tap, through our faucets. Um, and so I, um, about almost 10 years ago at this point, kind of made the shift and started working in the water conservation and efficiency space, looking at, you know, how can we really 
work with customers in local settings to um, connect them with their water and then, you know, through stewardship of their water. But then also that's kind of an entry point into into having them look up at their watershed and, and beyond. So I would say through the ocean is actually how I ended up in, you know, the yeah, traditional yeah. water space. Yeah. <laughs> well, Went from good. salt to fresh, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. well Maybe maybe you can give a little history about CalWEP because it was something else before it was CalWEP, and then you can tell our audience who are not in the water industry what CalWEP is. Can you yeah, do that? definitely. So CalWEP stands for the California Water Efficiency Partnership. Um, we're a nonprofit. I'm currently in Sacramento, California, um, and we're a membership-based organization. So we bring together water agencies. We have about 200 of the 400 urban water suppliers in the state under our membership. Um, businesses, manufacturers, uh, consultants, nonprofits, academia, um, all with the mission to maximize water efficiency. We have a long history, so we've been around since 1991. Um, we We were more recently known as the California Urban Water Conservation Council. Um, which put together a historic MOU in the early 90s led by Marianne Dickinson um, that was a, a, an agreement of voluntary best management practices that water agencies and environmentalists agreed um, water agencies should be doing. And as time kind of moved forward and more regulations passed, we had our 20% reduction by 2020. Now we have some new landmark legislation that I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, really voluntary best management practices for conservation and efficiency became the floor. Everyone was kind of doing them. So in 2017, we sunsetted the council and relaunched as CalWEP with this with this mission that's really about how do we support water agencies um, as a water community to have the best water conservation and efficiency programs that meet their local needs, that are cost effective, that you know, have all the tools that, that reach those multiple benefits that I'm sure I'll prophesize on later. <laughs> um, and so that's our whole, our whole mission is around supporting water agencies and their conservation efforts. Oh, great. I'm going to let uh, Mr. Chris Davey jump in. Chris, go ahead. Well, I would, yeah, sure. Hey, um, Tia, welcome to the show for sure. Glad to have you on. Um, you know, we know, we know Marianne Dickinson pretty well. She's been on the water zone a couple of times, um, actually. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and a, and a terrific lady um, uh, as well. Um, so, Tia, we you know we've got we've got a little bit of background about <clears throat> CalWEP and, and and at least a definition for those. I manage the chat board, chat board as we do the show, so people. Uh, Rob was answering their questions. Say, what does CalWEP mean? Uh, so so now that we've done that, I mean you know there's a lot of buzzwords that go around the industry for for nonprofits and conservation efficiency, sustainability, um, you know that kind of stuff. So how do you you know how do you uh, approach all of those constituents that you were talking about with some of the things that you offer? And maybe you can go into a little more detail about some of those things you offer. Definitely. So you know every every local agency, local water agency is, is pretty unique. Every community is so unique. What makes sense, you know, in one place might not make sense in another. Um, so water conservation and efficiency, there is a, a large array of programs that, that folks can kind of deploy in their community from replacing toilets to landscape transformations to water audits to, you know, smart tech. <laughs> um, and so what CalWeb does is you know, we uh, support water agencies by really integrating a lot of 
those practices, technologies right into our membership, creating like collaborative spaces where agencies can come together and say, hey, this is really working for us, or this isn't working for us, or has anyone done this before and tried this out? Um, and that way we can kind of create a, a space for the conservation folks at each water agency to really have a, a broader network team. And for folks that aren't as familiar with like the inner workings of water districts, which not sure everyone is. Um, you know, historically, water conservation and efficiency teams have been pretty small. Um, you know, it's often ag- against the grain of a water district's um, revenue stream to conserve a lot of water, right? The more water they sell, the more water they bring in, or the more money they bring in. So, you know, if they're not, you know, sometimes if they they don't necessarily want to conserve as much as they can because it'll bring down their revenue. So, you know, for, I think, a while, conservation departments were often seen as, like, the red-headed stepchildren of their water, of their water agencies. And CalWEP really is, is there to provide kind of a network of those, you know, single department folks um, so that they can work together. So we do um, collaborative research where we'll kind of pass the hat and people will chip in money or chip in resources to put together, um, you know, rate studies or studies on, you know, irrigation efficiency, whatever it might be. Um, we actually run programs in-house for some of our smaller water districts. So um, we process rebates for, you know, the community in Casitas, which is near Santa Barbara, um, yep. or Myoma Dunes, <laughs> more inland. So, um, and we've also started some really unique partnerships with some tech companies um, like Flume and Raccio, <coughs> excuse me, where we um, have direct distribution programs that our, our um, water agencies can opt into. So, yeah, we, well, we the, have a, a wide gamut. <laughs> yeah, in the name itself, I mean, uh, you know, Tia, it says partnership, right? So, I mean, that's, a, that, that's really the, you know, the foundation for that. So um, a lot of things you mentioned there. How about stuff like, um, you know, helping water agencies or whoever it is in your constituents with all of the legislative and the regulatory stuff that goes on, is that part of what you offer as well? Absolutely. There, um, so in in the California water space, um, in 2018, we had some really big legislation passed that was called to make water conservation a California way of life. Um, this is really seen as kind of a first of its kind um, piece of legislation instead of historically and <laughs> those of us in, in California or out might know, but, you know, we have seasons of drought. We'll go into a drought and a governor will say, okay, you have to reduce by 20% everybody, no matter how much you've been reducing in the past. So whether you're, you know, Santa Cruz and you're only using 30 gallons a day or you're inland and you're using 100 gallons a day, it doesn't matter. You still have to cut 20%. And that didn't necessarily feel like an equi- equitable way to yeah, reduce water. across the controversial. <laughs> yes, a bit. Um, so, so this legislation is um, essentially creating individualized budgets for every individual water district, over 400 of them in the state. And there's a ton of data and a ton of information and, I mean, millions of meetings that we've been attending over the past four years. So what CalWEP has done, we actually created a little blog that we call What the Framework. And um, we've been posting, you know, really up-to-date um really short um, updates as we've gone through the regulatory process, right? Here's where the commercial industrial standard is today. Here's where the outdoor standard is today. 
um, as it's evolved and as it's changed because what we recognize is that a lot of people don't have the time or the talent to read through very heavy regulatory text um, or legislative text, and they need something that's a bit more digestible. So we've definitely been serving um, that role as a way to help get information out to our members and the general public around, you know, what the heck is going on with this big <laughs> conservation law. Right. Do you know Do you know Fiona Sanchez at all? I do well, yeah. Yes. Fiona's a great friend. I've known her for quite a few years. And I was at one of the hearings at the Metropolitan Water District and then with the state when they were talking about these new proposed regulations between what DWR says, what these other teams say. And Fiona was making the case that, you know, they spent a lot of money to help get their customers using water more efficiently. And some of the new regulations that they're proposing, it's going to be difficult. It's going to cost, they've already spent millions of dollars to do to get to where they got to. Like you said, the 2020, people complied, now we want more, then do 25%. You know, and I was joking with somebody, I it was Heather the other day, talking about, gee, you get down to 30 gallons per capita a day, uh, and you want more than you want more savings than that. You got to turn the water off completely, <laughs> and it's and, and water agencies are going to lose money, and they're going to spend it's, millions and millions of dollars. And especially with the way the world's going now, the, one of the biggest things that are going to happen, and, and start, people, I'm sure they're already starting to think about it, is security for the water storage and, and treatment. Plant. Yeah, mm-hmm. we are we're in the process of, and you know, state regulators are really walking this this balancing line between balancing the urgency of the moment, right? The urgency of we know that droughts are going to be longer, hotter, more frequent, and floods, but droughts in particular in this case, um, you know, and we know that there's this urgency around us to be as efficient as possible, but there's also the, the realities of what's happening on the ground in communities and the expense that it takes to do, you know, some of these programs. And what I worry about the most is, to do these programs right, right? We've seen bad conservation programs roll out in the past where they're replacing lawns with rocks, you know, and the rocks don't look good. They increase urban heat island. They don't provide any pollinator habitat. Um, It takes time to roll out really good turf replacement programs that are going to have native plants and have, you know, trees and, uh, you know, proper irrigation. Um, And so what we're seeing right now with the regulation is, you know, a bit too much too fast, um, where I think there there is a way to balance that a little bit more so that we can take things like cost effectiveness into into consideration, but also to make sure that we're, you know, the the money that we are investing in these programs is going towards programs that are going to have more benefits than just saving water, that are going to actually increase community resilience. You know, some of these regulations that they... They, they plan on how your sprinkler layout should be and, and you should use smart controllers and everything else. But, you know, people don't maintain, you know, the biggest problem with irrigation systems, they got to be maintained. you got to watch them. I mean, when somebody, when they build a new house, they install it, everything passes inspection. But what happens in a year from now? What happens in five years when the customer, when the homeowner decides to sell? Are, are they going to go back and retest everything to make sure it's still in compliance? I mean, those things go out of whack. And there was a big, and I won't go into the details, but real quick, there was a, there was a, a test done uh, study years ago in Las Vegas, and they put out over 100 homes, gave smart controllers, did all the audits, fixed everything, got them working. But a year later, the report came back that every every uh, smart controller they used from different manufacturers, it all failed. 
Why? Because they never went out and maintained the systems. People say, hey, I used to water my, my lawn every day. Now I don't do that anymore. I, I, it needs more water. So they, they go in and adjust it. And, and they have broken pipes and, and dirt gets in the heads. And, you know, those are all the things. It's, it's one thing to plan and set it all up. But then there's never, I don't see a, a long-term follow-up on any of those things. But anyway, Chris and, I, Chris and I were talking earlier about the PPIC and the LAO reports. Maybe you can, I know that's a question he's going to, he wants to delve into. Chris? Uh, I would, but Tia, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question about this because I, I saw that one of your priorities kind of falls in line with what I've done personally. I mean, I've done turf to native in, in uh, my home here in Southern California. Um, I've got a flume device, also had one for, se for several months, and, and, and it's great to see that because you can see immediately what your, what your water use is. But I also saw that one of the priorities for CalWEP is, is, is working with um, efficient products, and you know, kind of transforming the market to go that way. Do you work with the EPA WaterSense program in, in that respect? We do, yeah. So we work with the EPA WaterSense program. We work with the, you know, we engage with the CEC when they're doing Title 20 updates. Right. Um, we, you know, kind of trailing on the, the behavior change aspect of like, you can do this, but is it gonna work? You know, a lot of those fixture updates, especially WaterSense certified, like that's where you're gonna get long lasting savings for things like, you know, toilets, right? If we if we replace a toilet, um, you know, you can't really buy anything that's less than 1.6 gallons per flush right now. Um, where we still know there are still a lot of three-gallon-plus flushing toilets in the state of California. So there is still that room for those, like, bread-and-butter conservation and efficiency programs that do provide those, like, more stable, less dependent-on-behavior change um, uh, actions. But... I will say, you know, looking forward, a lot of what, a lot of where the conservation and efficiency world is heading does rely on behavior change. And that's where something like a flume is really interesting to watch how it changes the customer's behavior just when they know how much water they're using. And I expect we'll see more, you know, research and studies coming out around like what actually does make it so that people change their habits. It also makes it like, a pretty precarious thing to regulate because you set these yeah. standards and you can have all of the best programs in the world, but if people aren't taking advantage of your program, you know, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a good summary for sure, Tia, but I mean, you know, we, we can be awful, we can be awful clear here because the EPA doesn't mince words. I mean, they're very direct in saying, you know, this is transformational stuff. We are trying to change people's behaviors by this legislation and, and, uh, and regulation. Um, so, so you know, they don't mince words. They're pretty clear about it, right? Oh, yeah. The EPA has been very strong. I mean, the WaterSense program is, is just an excellent partner across the board in all the work yeah. that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Rob, got another question on your side? No, go ahead. I thought you had some, you and I were talking earlier, some things you wanted to talk about with her. Well, I was just going to, you know, I was just going to ask about, uh, about, some of your other partners that you have, Tia, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of if you can give us, um, you know, sort of, you know, maybe the top three, top five kind of uh, partners you work with. Oh, well, partners, partners are far and wide because we have members, right? Our, our okay. partnership is really our membership. And so we have everyone from the Metropolitan Water Districts and the Irvine Ranches to the you know, Yoruba and Kotati, right? Little communities yeah. to big communities. And 
everyone kind of, you know, under our, our banner, I think water agencies are our primary partner. They're about 75% of our membership. Yeah. Um, but then we also work really closely with folks like the California Native Plant Society. Um, we are working with them to scale up a program called CalScape, which is a nursery training program. Um, it was piloted at Molten Niguel Water District through, with Metropolitan Water District. And it's essentially if you, you know, this is part of that whole market market transformation of sustainable landscapes, right? If we're saying everyone needs to transform their, their lawn, um, okay, well, great. Yeah, if I want to transform my lawn and I go into a nursery and the nursery person doesn't know anything about natives and tries to sell me rose bushes that are going to use just as much water or more, right? That's not that the market's not transformed. If the irrigation controllers aren't there, the market's not transformed. If the legislation is so, there's all these pieces that really tie into it. And so we look for those kind of dynamic partners. Um, you know, the the California uh, CLCA, the landscaper or the contractors and landscapers, Rescape. Um, and then we also work with folks like Aqua and CMUA and the bigger water agency members as well. Um, and then, of course, our nonprofit partners are another kind of pillar of who we work with. So folks like um, Water Now Alliance, the Pacific Institute, the Climate Registry, the California Data Collaborative. Um, these are all, you know, nonprofit organizations who are mission-driven for, you know, in water, um, really also pushing, you know, towards a sustainable water future. So it's a fun balance. We get a really diverse group under our tent. Maybe drilling down on it a bit, uh, Tia, looking at like outreach and and education on behalf of CalWEP. I mean, you know, I've, I've been on the CalWEP website several times, and by the way, we'll give you a chance to talk about that. Or Rob will right right as we as we close the half hour out. But um, you know, tell us a little bit about your education and outreach efforts. Yeah, so we host um, a ton of events uh, <laughs> as our biggest kind of outreach piece for our, for our members and for the water community at large. Um, we host three one-day events that we rotate around the state. We're hosted by different water agencies, so we usually bounce between Northern and Southern California. And then we host our flagship event, which is called Peer to Peer. Um, it's a two-day event. This year it's going to be in San Jose. Uh, last year it was in Long Beach. The year before it was in Sacramento. So as you could see, we hop back north and south. Um, and these are, I mean, just the best opportunities to come together with 200 to 250 water efficiency professionals across the state, get up to date on, you know, what's happening with the legislation, with the advocacy, um, as well as hear, you know, both both successes and challenges that you know, programs are facing across the state. There's a lot of um, workshopping problems, you know, around tables. Um, and so that's a big part of what we do is our is our event piece. We also just have a, a lot of, um, like, customer information work that we do on our outreach. So we have a, one of our favorite publications and most beloved publications is our Practical Plumbing Handbook, which is a little um, pamphlet handbook that kind of goes through all the all the ways to, you know, fix a toilet, fix a leaky sink, all the practical plumbing things around your house that you might need help with. Um, we published that, gosh, a couple decades ago and, and um, you know, redid it in 2018. And a lot of our water supplier uh, members will, will purchase a ton of those and then give them to their customers for free. So um, similarly, we have landscape maintenance guides. We have sustainable landscaping guides. Um, and our, cust- our our 
water agency members will purchase them from us and then have them as giveaways for their communities, especially some of those smaller agencies that maybe don't have in-house marketing teams, um, you know, and and need to rely on kind of outside folks for that. You guys surely put a lot out and provide a lot to the industry, you know, from your advocacy, your research, the data, your networking, your expertise, your analytics, you got tools. I mean, you're you're a full-blood uh, uh, company that can or organization that can do a whole bunch of things, which I think is is, is, is unbelievable and great for great for the industry. Um, how can people get a hold of you and your website, phone numbers, or things like that? Yeah, CalWeb is calweep.org. Um, on there, you can find all of our information. My name is Tia, so T-I-A at calweb.org. Um, I, you know. I have a lot of answers, and if I don't have answers, I generally know who to get the answer from. And so I love tracking down answers for people. Um, And, you know, I would just welcome anyone to head over to our website, take a look at our publications, um, our events that are coming up. A lot of them are free. We also host webinars. And I will just also plug, we're a chapter of the Alliance for Water Efficiency, which is our national organization based in Chicago. Um, and so uh, they're also just a, a wealth of knowledge as well. And so I think together we we form a pretty formidable crew of water efficiency nerds. <laughs> yeah, we had your we we had your head of uh, that group on our show a while back, so uh, we're in tune to that. So uh, we do appreciate you coming and taking the time to come on the show and talk about it. Give us give us an up, give, give an update to what's happening and, and the projects that you guys are working on. And uh, anything you need to ask of us. Nope. Just thank you for your work and for all the great interviews. It's a, a big benefit to the water community. We're grateful. Last thing I'll ask you. Um, so if the governor comes to you and taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to be the, the, the czar of water for California, what's the three things you would attack first? Ah! <laughs> water rights. <laughs> Prop 218. Um, <laughs> and uh, affordability, probably. Excellent. You know, just the, the minor ones. <laughs> just the minor ones. Well, we always like to throw that in. We thank you very much for being on the show. I hope everybody contacts you, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks to you for Thanks coming so on the show. Much. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Bye. Dia. Thanks. All right, for all our listeners, thanks for listening in today. Hope you had some fun, got some more information about a great organization. And things that Chris and I always want to tell everybody at the end of our show is please help keep our keep planet our blue. Planet blue. Because if you like green, you can't have it without blue. So thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good weekend. Stay dry. And we'll uh, be around next week. Thanks. NBC News on KCAA Loma Linda, sponsored by Teamsters Local 1932, protecting the future of working families, Teamsters1932.org. NBC News Radio, I'm Brian Schultz.